My presentation today would be on the African Union Convention for the Protection of and Assistance to the International Internally Displaced Persons in Africa, uh, otherwise known as the Kampala Convention. My name is Minili Kalamu Getahun. I am a member of the African Union Commission on International Law. I'm also ambassador and permanent representative of Ethiopia uh, to the United Nations Office in Geneva and other international organizations in Switzerland and to the UN offices and other organizations in Vienna. I'm also ambassador to Switzerland and resident ambassador to Bulgaria, uh, Hungary, Romania and Austria. Austria. I'm uh, pleased uh, today to record this lecture for the audiovisual library of the United Nations on the African Union Convention for the Protection of and Assistance to Internally Displaced Persons, IDPs, in Africa. This convention is referred uh, from taking from the place where it was adopted, a Kampala Convention. So throughout this presentation, I would refer to it as a Kampala Convention. In the first instance, I would, uh, I would like to start with uh, setting the general background uh, as a backdrop of the establishment of the African Union, as well as the main principles and uh, treaties and some bodies uh, or policy organs of the African Union most relevant to the protection of IDPs in, in Africa. The substantive aspect of this presentation on the Kampala uh, Convention would have its own structure that I will come back later on. Uh, and I would also make a brief introduction uh, of the African Union uh, model law for the implementation of the Kampala Convention. Finally, I will close with a um, few uh, suggestions or next steps for the effective implementation of the Kampala Convention. The African Union uh, is celebrating uh, in, to, in 2013, while I'm uh, recording this uh, presentation, the 50th anniversary of the establishment of the Organization of uh, African Unity, OAU, which was established uh, 25th May 1963 um, here in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The OAU was uh, heavily criticized during its time uh, for failing to uphold uh, human rights in favor of the principle of non-intervention in the internal affairs of member states. Um, even though it was criticized heavily for this, uh, we should uh, add uh, that despite the criticisms um, against the inaction by the OAU in the face of uh, human rights violations in the continent, uh, it would be appropriate to put this in a context because of the monumental achievements of the OAU, um, we can cite some examples uh, of um, milestones in terms of liberation of the continent from colonialism and apartheid and the uh, resolution of a number of disputes among member states uh, of the uh, OAU at that time. And it, it uh, started during its final years uh, contribution uh, to the, actually from the beginning, to the development of global standards to human rights, including some of the uh, complaint mechanisms of the uh, human rights system of the United Nations, the law of the sea, um, the environment, and other areas uh, of global concern. Uh, in its, um, around the time of the transition from the OAU uh, to the uh, African Union, the OAU had already started setting uh, solid ground for the prevention uh, and resolution of conflicts in the continent. As uh, we will we'll see um, subsequently, many of the principles that the African Union has introduced in the Constitutive Act 
the constitutive act that was adopted uh, in uh, Lome Togo in, on July 11, 2000 and entered into force um, in, on 26 May 2001. Uh, this constitutive act could be taken as a reflection on the determination of the continent to change the legacy of in, inaction and failures that I referred to in terms of protecting civilians from grave violations of human rights. Of course, the dynamics leading up to the establishment of the, the African Union include a number of other factors, uh, in particular the, the need to expedite the integration of the continent. I will now make some references to uh, the main principles, uh, treaties and organs that are relevant uh, to the protection uh, of and assistance to internally displaced persons in Africa. Um, the Constitutive Act of the African Union has introduced some radical principles, such as the principles enshrined in the Article 4H of the Constitutive Act, which states, and I quote, the right of the Union to intervene in a member state's pursuant to a decision of the Assembly in respect of grave circumstances, namely war crimes, genocide, and crimes against humanity. Article 4H uh, is thus uh, meant to serve as a never again pledge by the continent in face of mass atrocities, including genocide. Um, uh, this year we are uh, celebrating, uh, we are commemorating um, uh, the year of reflection, the international year of reflection of the genocide in Rwanda. I think that is uh, one uh, episode in the uh, history of Africa that has necessitated this uh, provision in the Constitutive Act. Article 4J of the Constitutive Act. Constitutive Act also provides for the right of member states of the Union uh, to request intervention from the Union in order to restore peace and security. These provisions uh, could be considered as a codification of sorts uh, of an emerging regional norm um, in light of the practice of the OAU, uh, particularly in its final years in helping restore stability in its member states. It could also be considered uh, that the adoption of these principles by the African Union is a negation of the criticism against the former continental body for being blindly loyal um, to the principle of non-intervention in the internal affairs of member states. The first aspect of this in terms of intervention uh, to, to arrest the development of major crimes could be seen in the evolving notion of the uh, uh, in quotations, the responsibility to protect populations from genocide, war crimes, ethnic cleansing, and crimes against humanity, as reflected in the relevant parts of the 2005 outcome document of the UN General Assembly. Um, the, the principle of the peaceful settlement of dispute is another critical principle enshrined in the African Union Constitutive Act, relevant for the protection and assistance to IDPs. This, in fact, builds on uh, OAU's achievements in institutionalization of peaceful settlements of disputes. Another important pillar of the African Union legal framework that has a mandate uh, to, that has a relevant mandate to the protection of IDPs is the Peace and Security Council, the PSCC of the African Union. This body was established by the Assembly of Heads of State and Government under Article 5.2 of the Constitutive Act. And this is the article that, is, uh, that merited a particular reference because under this article, the African Union 
um, establishes policy organs. The African Union uh, hierarchical structure starts with the assembly of heads of state and government, where all uh, leaders of the African continent are represented. And then you have the executive um, council, normally foreign ministers of member states are represented. And you have the permanent uh, representatives committee, the PRC, where the ambassadors to the African Union are represented. We have also sectoral ministri ministries of line ministries. And uh, we also have the African uh, Parliament, uh, the Pan-African Parliament. Um, so for the African Union to establish such bodies, it would invoke this Article 5 to the Constitutive Act. So this body, the Peace and Security Council, was established subsequently to the adoption of the Constitutive Act under this, uh, this provision with adoption of the protocol on the establishment of the Peace and Security Council as a standing decision-making organ uh, for the early warning, prevention, management, and resolution of conflicts, and to facilitate timely and efficient responses to crisis situations in Africa. Next to the Assembly and the Executive Council, as I said, the Council forms the top level of, of the evolving continental peace and security architecture in Africa. The PSC was launched in May uh, 2004, it is actively supported by the good officers of the African Union Commission. The African Union Commission, which serves also as a secretariat, but itself is a policy organ of the African Union. It has a, a number of commissioners. It has a chairperson and a number of commissioners. And at least two of the commissioners are relevant for our topic. One is a political affairs commissioner uh, with the Department on uh, Refugees, Returnees, and IDPs. And another one is a commissioner for peace and security in terms of handling disputes, conflicts, armed conflicts in, in the continent. Here as well, there is a relevance for the protection of uh, IDPs. The Council also includes a post-conflict reconstruction, re reconstruction unit. The structure has a continental early warning system which aims at facilitating timely response in action to prevent the outbreak and escalation of conflicts in Africa. And, and it works with the uh, cooperation of regional economic communities, RECs. And these RECs, I uh, just pose to add, uh, is, are the pillars of the continental integration process. The African Union, and before the African Union, the OAU, uh, considered the regional economic blocks that are established in the five sectors of Africa, in the North Africa, in the East Africa, West Africa, Central Africa, and Southern Africa, uh, with their own uh, structures, with their own treaties, with their own policy organs. But eventually the idea is that these um, uh, sub-regional bodies would help through, through time the integration of the continent as a whole. Coming back to the Peace and Security Council and its protocol, Article 12 of the protocol provides for early warning information provided to the chairperson of the uh, council through the continental uh, early warning system. The protocol recognizes the relationship between conflict and forced displacement, provides for the role of the Peace and Security Council in humanitarian coordination, also explicitly acknowledges that conflicts have forced millions of people in Africa, including women and children. Another important principle related to governance in Africa is a condemnation and rejection of unconstitutional changes of government, which is now well articulated in the, OA, in the African Union Charter 
on democracy, elections, and governance. The development of this principle of rejection of unconstitutional change of government, which has been applied repeatedly against regimes which try to come to power through unconstitutional means, and which also applies against regimes trying to remain in power after losing elections or by changing the constitution, goes beyond the initial limited focus during the time of the OAU on the condemnation of political assassinations and subversive activities. We can also mention the African peer review mechanism of the New Partnership for Africa's Development, NEPAD, which invariably dedicates a part of the country review report on refugees and causes and consequences of internal displacement in the country under review. This system challenges the country under review um, to closely examine its policies towards uh, hosting refugees and its internal mechanisms to prevent and address inter internal displacement, and further offers the opportunity to assess whether the country has the necessary policy, legal, institutional frameworks to prevent internal displacement, and effectively handle resettlement, re relocation, and return issues. Just as a footnote on uh, the African peer review mechanism, this is a voluntary uh, mechanism where members of the African Union subscribe to voluntarily. Uh, it applies uh, in instruments such as declarations on good governance, on political governance, on economic governance, on uh, corporate governance. So it reviews the performance of member states which have acceded to the African peer review mechanism again is the background of this, uh, these norms. So it is important that this process also includes the causes and consequences of internal displacement. On a related note, the African Charter on Democracy, Elections and Governance of 30 January 2007 under Article 8 requires the state parties to adopt legislative and administrative measures to guarantee the rights of women, ethnic minorities, migrants, people with disabilities, refugees and displaced persons and other marginalized and vulnerable social groups. This treaty further reinforces the need for the protection of IDPs in Africa. This treaty is relevant not only because it specifically mentioned displaced persons and other marginalized groups, but it sets the necessary um, principles and criteria uh, for good governance and democracy in Africa. It's one of the latest treaties in, in the continent. Other regional treaties with much more general scopes of application, such as the African Charter on Human and People's Rights, provide the general framework for the protection of IDPs in Africa. In 2004, the African Commission on Human and People's Rights, which is a monitoring body for this um, charter, and the, it, it reviews implementation of the charter through periodic reports. Um, so this is African treaty body. Uh, regional treaty body, has established a position of special rapporteur on refugees, asylum seekers, and IDPs in Africa, with extensive promotional and protection responsibilities. As we will see later on, this mandate is specifically mentioned in the Kampala Convention itself. The African Charter on the Rights and Welfare of the Child also provides, and I quote, the provision of this article uh, under the relevant article, applies mutatis mutandis, apply mutatis mutandis to internally displaced children, whether through natural disaster, internal armed conflict, civil strife, breakdown of economic and social order, 
or for, for howsoever caused. The protocol, before that, I just wanted to highlight that this um, Charter on the Rights and Welfare of the Child has also its own monitoring body, uh, which would have the opportunity to review member states' implementation of this provision, which has specific uh, application for internally displaced children. The protocol to the African Charter on Human and People's Rights on the rights of women in Africa uh, has also relevant provisions for the protection of IDPs. The African Court on Human and People's Rights, which complements the mandate of the African Commission on Human and People's Rights, has a jurisdiction to make decisions on human rights violations committed by uh, African Union member states, which have acceded to the protocol. And uh, it has different ways in which it would assume jurisdiction. Uh, so the acceding country should also uh, make, make clear that it accepts uh, complaints from uh, individuals and non-governmental organizations. It is important milestone for the governance. The establishment of this court is uh, a milestone for the governance in Africa with a potential for the enforcement of the provisions of the Constitutive Act of the Union, the regional and international instruments of human rights, including the Kampala Convention. The African Union Commission on International Law, AUCIL, the body where I belong, is one of the youngest bodies established by the African Union, by the Assembly of Heads of State and Government, as I said for, before, for PSCC under Article 5.2 of the Constitutive Act. According to the statute adopted by the Assembly, AUCIL has a mandate for, among others, the codification and progressive development of international law in Africa, proposing draft uh, framework agreements, model uh, regulations, revision of existing treaties, preparing drafts, conducting studies on legal matters of interest to the uh, Union and the member states of the Union and encourage the teaching, study, publication, dissemination of literature or international law and the law of African Union. In this context, one of the first subjects selected by the AUCIL for study in collaboration with partners such as the UNHCR is the preparation of a model African Union law for the implementation of the Kampala Convention. I have been serving as a special reporter to undertake this responsibility. I will just move on to talk about the uh, convention itself, the general framework necessitating the convention, uh, some of its structures, um, implementation avenues, and the next steps in the implementation of the convention by way of some suggestions I would uh, suggest. The development of the law in, on uh, internal displacement always invokes a passionate discussion on whether we need a separate protection regime for IDPs. These are individuals displaced within their own countries. Unlike refugees, they have not crossed internationally recognized borders. So they are within, within their, their um, uh, countries. They should thus, one would argue, enjoy the protection accorded to other nationals of that state. Uh, that has been, in at some quarters, still is being invoked to uh, question whether we need, uh, particularly in discussions in the global context, whether we need a global treaty uh, binding instrument uh, for uh, protection of IDPs. In fact, the, the very fact of being displaced, forcefully displaced, and being in a vulnerable situation requires a closer thinking of the normal application of the law. People will run for their lives when natural disasters strike. They will not have any time to prepare for lives uh, when they um, 
where they seek shelter, in the places where they seek shelter. Their immediate objective, in most cases, would be the preservation of their lives, their families, their well-beings. They would have left their uh, identification documents, uh, they would be uh, deprived of the support structures of their other family members, uh, their communities, uh, and so forth. They could be fleeing for their lives, among others, even though they have not crossed international borders, they could be fleeing because of human rights violations, or due to armed conflict, or be uh, forcefully displaced to give way for uh, developmental projects and other activities. In addition to their being vulnerable for lack of daily sustenance, they would need targeted protection, fit to address the root causes that initially forced them uh, from their usual habitation. We could then move on to argue that the challenge for these IDPs during their stay and return, or as the case may be, uh, reintegration in local communities requires a special treatment that may not be available following the usual channels for other citizens or residents of the country. Similarly, these separate treatments might be necessary to undertake normal activities such as getting documentation, sending their children to school, getting medical attention, participating in elections, or simply reclaiming the property they left behind when they fled for their lives. It is these compelling reasons, and many others, that the inability or the in insufficiency of the existing structures and treaties that motivated the development of the 1998 United Nations Guiding Principles uh, for, of Internal Displacement, or otherwise known as the Guiding Principles. These principles provided a coherent framework for protecting IDPs, bringing together the different standards of international humanitarian law and international humanitarian uh, human rights law that are applicable to them wherever they are in their own country. But the guiding principles brought them together uh, and made sure that they address a particular needs, vulnerability needs of the IDPs. It will be recalled that the guiding principles were considered by the United Nations General Assembly in 2005, World Summit outcome, and I quote, as an important international framework for the protection of internally displaced persons and resolved to take effective measures to increase the protection of IDPs, and hence elevating the status of IDPs uh, in the global sphere. The remarkable work done by the, uh, Mr. Francis Deng, uh, the representative of the United Nations Secretary General on IDPs, the first one, which led to the elaboration of the guiding principles. He had a committee of experts from different countries to prepare this, but his work and his proposals led to the guiding principles. Uh, and the reports by Mr. Deng and subsequently by uh, Professor Walter Kalin and the current special rapporteur of the United Nations Human Rights Council uh, on the human rights of IDPs, Mr. Jaloka Bayani, um, on their country visits, on the legal analysis and their commentaries and have contributed to wide acceptance of the guiding principles as a non-binding normative framework on internal displacement. Of course, the other aspects of the United Nations system have taken this a bit further in their work. The Organization of African Unity and now the African Union have kept, have kept the question of IDPs under constant review, particularly with the consideration by the policy organs through the subcommittee of the Permanent Representative Committee on Refugees, Returnees, and IDPs. So regularly, annual reports are submitted to ministers, to ambassadors, and the ministers to see the situation of IDPs, the number of IDPs, the different challenges, uh, not just IDPs, but refugees and returnees as well. 
The continent has been challenged by resurgence of armed conflicts and civil strife, natural disasters, increasingly extreme weather conditions connected with climate change, and gross human rights violations. These situations invariably cause people to flee from their residence and places of habitation. The African Union has adopted resolutions and decisions on internal displacement. Some of these latest decisions, as referred to in the preamble of the Kampala Convention, uh, they, they base, the Kampala Convention bases itself, I mean the process, the whole process itself, on these uh, major decisions. One of them is the Khartoum Declaration, which was adopted during the OAU at the ministerial meeting on refugees, returnees, and internally displaced persons in Africa in December 1998 which encapsulates the different resolutions, decisions adopted by the regional organization over the years. Some of the main points of the declaration emphasize the need for adopting national legislating, legislation, administrative regulations and procedures to ensure the effective and full implementation of the instruments to which they have acceded, calling for durable solutions to the problems of forced population movements, urging the protection of humanitarian workers and ensuring their safety and security in asking organizations and or aid workers to abide by the national laws, regulations of the countries where they operate. These elements are important. I wanted to enumerate them because you will find them elaborated in the convention itself. As you consider the different aspects of the convention in detail, you will see that these have been further developed. So this uh, declaration really a good foundation for the convention. One of the major developments leading to the Kampala Convention um, is the adoption of, by the signatories of the 2006 Pact on Security, Stability and Development in the Great Lakes uh, region of Africa, uh, where they adopted a number of protocols relevant to the protection and assistance of IDPs, including the protocol on protection and assistance to internally displaced persons on 30th November 2006. This is important to mention because this is a binding instrument endorsed, adopted by these countries, around 11 of them in the Great Lakes region. Uh, basically endorsing the, most of the structure and the principles of the guiding principles that I mentioned earlier, which showed the readiness of our continent to adopt a binding treaty uh, on IDPs. This protocol and national legislation in different countries, in the process of the drafting of the Kampala Convention through experts, groups, and policy organs, helped the unanimous adoption of the Kampala Declaration on Refugees and Returnees and IDPs with extensive provisions and the Kampala Convention on the 22nd um, uh, October 2009 by the African Union Summit held in Kampala, Uganda. The convention came into force on 6 December 2012 following the accession uh, of Swaziland as the 50 years ratifying states. The Kampala Convention, basing itself on the guiding principles, builds on the standards developed by previous regional treaties that I referred to earlier on the protection of IDPs. It is a demonstration of the determination of the continent, continent that is disproportionately affected by internal displacement, to put in place a legal and institutional framework to better protect and assist IDPs. As uh, foreseen under Article 3.2c of the Kampala Convention, this is a very critical uh, part of the Convention, uh, one of the first general provisions of the Convention, 
uh, that talks about national policies and strategies on internal displacement, including at the local level, which would provide a, a better domestic framework for the protection and assistance to IDPs. The drafting and implementation of domestic law on internal displacement would be highly facilitated by the process of developing strategies and policies which could help a country assess the extent, causes and severity of internal displacement, the causes of this uh, displacement, the severity and degree of vulnerability faced by IDPs, as well as in the identification of laws and practices that would have uh, effect on the rights and welfare of IDPs in the particular country. It would also provide the opportunity to consult with IDPs and all stakeholders on the specific situation of the country and possible needs of protection, assistance, and durable solution for a particular country. So that provision um, is very important uh, to keep in mind in terms of implementing the uh, Kampala Convention as we come around the end of this presentation. As it is a standard practice for understanding treaty, I think the preamble would provide you with ample resource um, in terms of understanding the intentions or getting the intentions of the heads of state or government of member states of the African Union in adopting this uh, convention, uh, which contains, which is very comprehensive, but it also contains very radical um, and innovative provisions. These heads of state fully recognized the gravity of the situation of IDPs in our continent, including their suffering and specific vulnerabilities. The fact that this situation has been a source of instability in Africa so well above the uh, protection of particular human rights of the IDPs, it has been one of the causes uh, or the continuation of instability in different parts of Africa. So that is also another motivation. But it also, the convention also celebrates the African tradition of hospitality for persons in distress. It reiterates the commitment of the union in establishing an appropriate legal framework for protection and assistance of IDPs also by providing durable solutions, not only protecting, preventing from happening, protecting, but also finding um, durable solutions uh, to IDPs, and by taking measures and uh, aimed at, as I said, preventing internal displacement through um, a number of functions that will come uh, later on, but addressing root causes such as conflicts and natural disasters. The convention recognizes the roles of international organizations and agencies within the framework of the United Nations interagency collaborative approach to IDPs, especially the protection expertise. And it mentions in the, in the preamble, it's not usual for treaties, uh, treaties of the African Union, treaties uh, of um, uh, the UN, to make reference uh, to organizations like the Office of the um, Bodies, that, such as the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, UNHCR, in ICRC and civil society organizations. But the importance, uh, importance that is attached to the protection of IDPs and the expertise and special mandates uh, of these organizations um, meant that the preamble specifically uh, refers to these bodies. The preamble also refers to the lack of uh, a binding African and international legal and institutional framework for the prevention of internal displacement. The convention thus provides the appropriate legal framework on the comprehensive approach to issues affecting IDPs. It highlights the roles and obligations of even armed groups, non-state actors, and civil society organizations in the prevention 
of internet displacement and protection of and assistance to IDPs. Here uh, I, I just read the, uh, the title, um, the title of, um, forgot to mention at the beginning, uh, the title needed some, some revision because it says the protection and assistance to, it should have been the protection of and assistance to IDPs. But the subsequent provisions, including the preamble, uh, rectifies um, uh, this uh, minor error. The definition of IDPs in the convention follows the definition in the guiding principles, and it's worth mentioning them um, as, as they are. And I quote, persons or group of persons who have been forced or obliged to flee and to leave their homes or places of habitual residence, in particular as a result of or in order to avoid the effects of armed conflicts, situations of generalized violence, violations of human rights or natural or human-made disasters, and who have not crossed an internationally recognized border. And that is a critical part of this definition, as I mentioned in the beginning. One of the qualities of the convention is that it is comprehensive reach, not only to IDPs as uh, one group of people with particular vulnerabilities, that's common to all of them, but also to IDPs with particular special protection or assistance needs, including separated or unaccompanied causes and severity of internal displacement. The causes of this uh, displacement, the severity and degree of vulnerability faced by IDPs, as well as in the identification of laws and practices that would have uh, effect on the rights and welfare of IDPs in the particular country. It would also provide the opportunity to consult with IDPs and all stakeholders on the specific situation of the country and possible needs of protection, assistance, and durable solution for a particular country. So that provision um, is very important uh, to keep in mind in terms of implementing the uh, Kampala Convention as we come around the end of this presentation. As it is a standard practice for understanding treaty, I think the preamble would provide you with ample resource um, in terms of understanding the intentions or getting the intentions of the heads of state or government of member states of the African Union in adopting this uh, convention, uh, which contains, which is very comprehensive, but it also contains very radical um, and innovative provisions. These heads of state fully recognized the gravity of the situation of IDPs in our continent, including their suffering and specific vulnerabilities. The fact that this situation has been a source of instability in Africa. So well above the uh, protection of particular human rights of the IDPs, it has been one of the causes uh, or the continuation of instability in different parts of Africa. So that is also another motivation. But it also, the convention also celebrates the African tradition of hospitality for persons in distress. It reiterates the commitment of the Union in establishing an appropriate legal framework for protection and assistance of IDPs, also by providing durable solutions, not only protecting, preventing from happening, protecting, but also finding um, durable solutions uh, to IDPs, and by taking measures and aimed at, as I said, preventing internal displacement through a number of functions that will come uh, later on, but addressing root causes such as conflicts and natural disasters. The convention recognizes the roles of international organizations and agencies within the framework of the United Nations interagency collaborative approach to IDPs, especially the protection expertise. And it mentions in the, in the preamble, this is not usual, for treaties, uh, treaties of the African Union, 
treaties uh, of um, uh, the UN to make reference uh, to organizations like the Office of the um, Bodies, that, such as the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, UNHCR, and ICRC, and civil society organizations. But the importance, uh, of the importance that is attached to the protection of IDPs and the expertise and special mandates uh, of these organizations um, meant that the preamble specifically uh, refers to these bodies. The preamble also refers to the lack of uh, a binding African and international legal and institutional framework for the prevention of internal displacement. The convention thus provides the appropriate legal framework on the comprehensive approach to issues affecting IDPs. It highlights the roles and obligations of even armed groups, non-state actors, and civil society organizations in the prevention of internal displacement and protection of and assistance to IDPs. Here, uh, I, I just read the, uh, the title, um, the title of, um, forgot to mention at the beginning, uh, the title needed some, some revision because it says the protection and assistance to, it should have been the protection of and assistance to IDPs. But the subsequent provisions, including the preamble, uh, rectifies um, uh, this uh, minor error. The definition of IDPs in the convention follows the definition in the guiding principles, and it's worth mentioning them um, as, as they are. And I quote, persons or group of persons who have been forced or obliged to flee and to leave their homes or places of habitual residence, in particular as a result of or in order to avoid the effects of armed conflicts, situations of generalized violence, violations of human rights or natural or human-made disasters, and who have not crossed an internationally recognized border. And that is a critical part of this definition, as I mentioned in the beginning. One of the qualities of the convention is that it is comprehensive reach, not only to IDPs as uh, one group of people with particular vulnerabilities, that's common to all of them, but also to IDPs with particular special protection or assistance needs, including separated or unaccompanied, unaccompanied children, female households, households, expectant mothers, um, mothers of young children, the elderly, and persons with disabilities or with communicable diseases. So the convention provides particular obligations on state, state parties that are relevant to uh, these groups of people. So I just want to um, go over quickly with the convention, one, in terms of addressing prevention, and two, in terms of addressing protection during displacement. Um, and the final part is on finding durable solution. Uh, before the durable solution, assistance to IDPs and uh, finding durable solution. And the final part of the convention has more general provisions on prohibitions of arbitrary displacement and so forth. I will mention those as I conclude. The prevention of internal displacement is the most uh, challenging aspect of the convention. It requires political will and also resources. The capacity, the capacity challenge resurfaces uh, when one is faced with the obligation to prevent uh, internal displacement in the context where the possible cause is natural disaster or climate change related uh, extreme conditions of weather, flooding and so forth. Uh, even here, the main point is that it is the primary responsibility of the state concerned to protect the people affected by natural disasters, such as droughts, floods, uh, desertification, and other causes. So it has resource-intensive obligations, um, but the, the underlining fact is a political will 
uh, to put in place the necessary structure. As part of the fundamental obligation of preventing forced or involuntary displacement, the Convention sets out the obligations to enact legislation prohibiting arbitrary displacement of population and addresses root causes of displacement, such as exclusion and marginalization. This aspect of the Convention should be seen in light of the African Union treaties and the standards on human rights and good governance and other relevant UN treaties mentioned uh, earlier in my presentation. This uh, is meant to, to say that a country, as uh, it develops, it is a protection system for all citizens in the country in terms of good governance and protection of human rights and democracy. They are part of the answer to prevent displacement because they will prevent human rights violations. They are likely to prevent conflicts as well. They are likely to prevent arbitrary displacement due to projects and other things because they would involve the affected population. So this is very important part in terms of uh, prevention. So the most important part, the most challenging part of the convention is preventing internal displacement, forced internal displacement from happening in the first place. But it's also important because the fact is that we have millions of Africans who are displaced, who are in a very dire situation. So urgently what we need to do is to protect them wherever they are, to protect their lives. So this is the second aspect I would deal with is protection. The essence of the obligation of protection of IDPs in Africa is protecting the human rights of IDPs. The extensive provisions of the Kampala Convention on the protection of IDPs should be seen in light of particular vulnerable situation of IDPs. Protection is about enforcement of the civil and political, economic, social, and cultural rights of IDPs. It translates into averting forced displacement by taking action to prevent exclusion and marginalization, as I said before, prohibiting and preventing arbitrary displacement of populations, respecting and ensuring respect for the principles of humanity, human dignity of IDPs, holding individuals, including non-state actors, whether they are multinational uh, companies uh, and private military or security companies, accountable for their act arbitrary displacement of um, people. Reuniting families, it should, it should also mean reuniting families, providing them with registration and documentation for them to be able to continue a productive livelihood. The convention addresses the protection needs of IDPs due to different causes. So the, so the convention applies to IDPs whatever are the causes, whether the causes are human rights violations, uh, armed conflicts, uh, projects, uh, natural disasters. It deals with internal displacement triggered by armed conflict and generalized violence as one of the causes. This part restates the obligation of states and non-state actors under international humanitarian law and human rights law. The convention uses such terminology as international humanitarian law and human rights law. But we can understand that this is consistent with the protection of IDPs under the Geneva Conventions and the additional protocols to the Geneva Conventions. In a groundbreaking manner, the convention covers displacement induced by projects. This was never um, intended to be in the convention. There was a lot of debate uh, in its first formulation of this convention because it's, this goes a bit further in challenging the states about what they do in their own countries in terms of um, un undertaking major development projects. It protects people from arbitrary relocation and displacement in the implementation of development projects. It's about finding alternatives to the proposed projects to prevent displacement, ensuring that the affected people are included in the decision-making process. 
in the social, economic, and environmental impact of a project that should be assessed before the project pro proposed um, is undertaken. This appears to be a difficult undertaking, but if governments adopt predictable, transparent rules in a, to advance and to guide this process, it would uh, at least lessen the burden on those likely to be adversely affected by the development projects. Just to add a few words on this one, because Africa is in an urgent need of development. Because we have uh, very large sections of our people in abject poverty, living uh, below the poverty line. So we need to have uh, major projects of dams, uh, roads, uh, a number of other life-sustaining projects, including hospitals uh, and, and other projects that are relevant also for people who are living in these areas where this could be, this land or this area could be required for uh, development. So what the convention is saying is that you should strike the right balance of protecting the rights of those people who need to be moved to give way to a development or for the country, for the general public, including for them. But the process has to include them in terms of finding alternatives in the first instance, uh, but also getting them on board on the need for these projects. This is a very delicate area of the convention, but the provisions of the convention have necessary flexibility that would allow states to adopt predictable and transparent rules that would have a consultation uh, process with affected uh, populations. Protection is also about the protection of property of IDPs that they would, as I said in the beginning, they would leave behind, but they would want to recover it um, later on. In yet uh, another innovation, the convention provides for the protection of communities, and this is a particular innovation in, the in this um, convention that I would like to uh, read as a whole, which says, uh, with special attachment to and dependency on the land due to their particular culture and spiritual values, from being displaced from such land except for compelling and overriding public interest. And here again, we have an overriding public interest. But the idea is that there are many communities throughout Africa, throughout almost all member states, people who have strong attachment to the, to the land and to whatever is available around the land. Could be trees and so forth. This could be related to uh, their cultural practices, or traditional practices or religious practices. But we should keep in mind that they have spiritual attachment. Not only economic benefits that they have right to exploit, but also this, this attachment. So we have to have a specific, uh, tailored um, approach when we come to uh, such communities. This is an African version of protection accorded to indigenous peoples globally. In the global treaties in the UN, we have the Declaration for Indigenous Peoples and so forth. A similar um, interpretation here could be applied for people with a special attachment to their land. The convention chose to balance the interest of these communities with the developmental interests of the general public. So the state is called upon to, to make the right call, to make the right balance uh, in, uh, in, uh, in following uh, developmental activities. The other aspect of the project, the, this convention of the, in terms of protection, is to have a clear picture through an updated registry of all IDPs. This is to have 
a clear picture of how many IDPs do you have in, uh, if you have registered them, uh, the number of women and, and children in the IDPs, uh, people needing special assistance and so forth. Having this uh, data available and have, having the capa capacity to work to, because the convention calls on state parties to work with international humanitarian organizations and civil society uh, in, in addressing IDP situations is very relevant. To have a clear picture, to have uh, uh, figures and facts about IDPs in, in our countries is very critical in the convention. It makes it an obligation for states. Another important uh, aspect that I've mentioned earlier is registration and the issuance of uh, documents to IDPs, uh, which is considered important, uh, if not critical, for their full enjoyment of their human rights. Uh, this uh, could relate to their um, passport, uh, birth certificate, and uh, similar uh, documents. The Kampala Convention also deals with internal displacement caused by armed conflicts and obliged the states to respect, uh, as I said before, and ensure respect for international humanitarian law. As I said before, the Convention does not define what international humanitarian law is. It does not define what international human rights law is. It is uh, it takes it as a given that international humanitarian law uh, mainly consists of the Geneva Conventions, uh, in this case the Fourth Geneva Convention and the additional protocols and the relevant parts from the, uh, the International Criminal Court Statute, the Roman Statute, which has similar provisions uh, in the African Union Constitutive Act. Um, so as it is applicable for states who have ratified these treaties, this will be applicable. But it also opens for the door for the application of the, the general international, customer international, that will be applicable for internally displaced persons. The convention restates the right of the African Union to intervene in uh, member states, pursuant to a decision of the assembly in accordance with Article 4H of the Constitutive Act in respect of grave circumstances, namely war crimes, genocide, and crimes against humanity, and on the obligation of the Union to respect the right of states to request intervention from the Union in order to restore peace and security in accordance with Article 4J of the Constitutive Act. These restatements must have been intended to direct the African Union to the possi possibility of grave circumstances in situations of forced internal displacement, and hence the need for the regional body to intervene to arrest the deteriorating situation or to protect uh, IDPs and other civilians and to contribute to the creation of a favorable condition for finding durable uh, solutions to the problem of internal displacement. So the, so the convention, by coming back again to uh, restate these provisions that I mentioned earlier in terms of being a radical introduction uh, to intervene in member states when these grave uh, crimes happen, is saying that if IDPs are systematically are being attacked, meaning war crimes or crimes against humanity are being committed, or, or there is uh, an ongoing genocide that's being fermented or being committed, the union cannot stand on, on, on the sideline, as happened in, in Rwanda when near to a million people perished. So this is very critical, this restatement uh, of obligation on the African Union being restated again in the context of protection of the IDPs. 
Under the convention, the African Union has also responsibilities related to building the capacity of member states to mobilize resources uh, and so forth to assist the member states. It is also important uh, that um, the Union is expected to share the information with the African Commission on Human Rights on the situation of displacement and the protection of assistance according to IDPs in Africa. And has also to cooperate with the Special Rapporteur of the African Commission on Human and People's Rights for refugees, returnees in IDPs, and asylum seekers in addressing issues of internal displacement. So its reports, the reports of the Commission, the Commissioner for Peace and Security, or the Commissioner for Political Affairs, would not stop being submitted to the um, policy organs, to the Executive uh, Council of Foreign Ministers, or to the heads of state. It has to go to the African Commission on Human and People's Rights. That would trigger the human rights um, procedures to address a, a particular uh, evolving situation. So once the political organs handle the political situation in terms of peace and security, the human rights organs of the union are being called on to seize this matter, getting the reports from the, uh, from the union organs, particularly from the commission. It would also mean that the commission, because the commission has a mandate under the protocol establishing the African Court on Human and People's Rights, it could go also to the court. It could, be, it could reach through the court. Of course, the court um, has uh, different ways of seizing um, issues before it. And uh, briefly, I would just touch on assistance. Assistance to IDPs is the second pillar of the convention, the most uh, important pillars, among the most important pillars, with a focus uh, being requiring special uh, treatment due to the particular uh, needs of uh, IDPs. The primary duty, again, is for the state concerned to provide assistance, humanitarian assistance, food, shelter, um, and other basic needs of IDPs. This cannot be disputed. It is thus reiterated that this reaffirmation of the primary responsibility uh, would not be enough for the state with, with limited resources. They should seek assistance. So the states, when we, they have limited resources, they have no right to sit back and allow IDPs to suffer and perish. They have the obligation under the convention to seek assistance from the international community, from the United Nations. With regard to the obligation of humanitarian assistance to IDPs, it is in effect the continuation on the assistance, but um, also responsibilities of all humanita humanitarian actors. The purpose is, is to put uh, a proper perspective on the duty of states to seek international assistance, to, to receive in good faith offers of assistance, and give consent and facilitate uh, this assistance whenever it is in a position to provide uh, this assistance by itself for those in need in an adequate manner. Whenever this state has a problem in terms of its own resources, then it should seek assistance. It has an obligation to seek assistance. It also provides minimum standards uh, to be followed by humanitarian actors. Humanitarian assistance is also about advancing a, a productive existence to IDPs through self-reliance and uh, sustainable livelihood. The convention can be labeled as a demanding because it asks too much of states, not only providing life-sustaining basic needs, but they should be allowed to uh, reclaim their productive lives. So it, it is really demanding, um, but it should be connected not only to humanitarian needs, but to 
the topic that would come into dur durable solutions. Because people who are assisted to sustain their lives, but also assisted to reclaim their productive life, would have the capacity to transit to the next level of durable solution by way of return or uh, reintegration. So the next chapter is on durable solutions. The convention provides uh, provisions on sustainable durable solutions to IDPs, including remedies and legal mechanisms for IDPs. Um, IDPs uh, should be allowed to take their case to court in terms of claiming um, against any abuse or seek effective remedies for the loss they suffered due to forced displacement. Durable solutions by way of local integration or resettlement are also provided in the convention. The convention directs the states to, to work for a durable solution for displacement problems through voluntary return, because it uses the word voluntary return. Whenever it is possible, in terms of the, the needs of the host communities, local integration or relocation with safety and dignity, if the return is not sustainable, if a natural disaster has made it impossible for them to return, there should be a way to find relocation with safety and dignity based on their free and informed choice and by ensuring that they participate in making this decision in terms of choosing the, the places where they will be relocated and so forth. In another um, radical undertaking, the convention lays a binding obligation on the states to cooperate with the African Union, the international organization, humanitarian agencies, and civil society organizations in providing protection and assistance in the course of finding and implementing solutions for sustainable return, local integration, or relocation and long-term solution. So it's not just a choice, a luxury for the state to seek support from the United Nations, from UNHCR, from ICRC, and so forth, or other humanitarian organizations, even from civil society. It is obliged to work with, uh, with these organizations with the mandate in this area to seek uh, sustainable solutions. African uh, states are expected to cooperate with the African Union under the Constitutive Act. Nonetheless, the addition of the cooperation with other entities, including civil society organizations, could be explained with the overriding interest of respecting the rights of IDPs over any other consideration of sovereignty and so forth. So sovereignty here is protecting your own population. It would nevertheless be one of the most challenging aspects of the convention, given the practice in, in, uh, in terms of humanitarian assistance, in terms of challenges of humanitarian assistance, the challenges faced by humanitarian organizations, all humanitarian actors. Uh, this implementing this obligation uh, would be a, a challenge, but it's a challenge worth overcoming. On remedies and compensation, the convention uh, provides a very broad uh, perspective enshrining the obligation of states to provide effective remedies to persons affected by displacement. So the first thing it does is all persons affected by displacement should have a possibility for redress. But then it goes further into identifying specific needs of IDPs. In the first instance, it talks of generally of persons, not just only IDPs. It appears that IDPs and others, as seen throughout the text, including host communities, could then also seek redress for any damage and loss they suffered by hosting refugees, and particularly environmental damage and so forth. They could seek, so the convention is very broad. The convention goes further by laying obligation on state parties, in I quote, to establish an effective legal framework to provide just and fair compensation and other forms of reparations where appropriate to internally displaced persons for damage incurred 
as a result of displacement in accordance with international standards. The convention goes even further in, in holding the state parties liable to IDPs, and I quote, for damage when such a state party refrains from, from protecting and assisting IDPs in the event of natural disaster. So it will not be a political loss only for the states to fail to protect IDPs who would be uh, affected by natural disasters. It would have a legal obligation. It would have consequences. It would, it would redress uh, these people who would be uh, forcefully displaced uh, and suffer because of natural disasters. The final part is about implementing the convention. I just made uh, some of the highlights, but implementing the convention should be seen as uh, the remaining parts of the convention. This is a convention that has substantive parts throughout. Even when you think you are reaching the final clauses, uh, you would find important obligations uh, that would be uh, critical for its implementation. For instance, it has obligations on international organizations, humanitarian agencies, to respect uh, international law and the laws of the country in which they operate, respect for the rights of IDPs, and be bound by the principles of humanity, neutrality, impartiality, independence. For most of these humanitarian agencies, uh, such as uh, UNHCR, ICRC, these principles are enshrined in the instruments guiding their work, in their mandate. But a departure from this principle uh, should, be, uh, should lead to holding these agencies accountable through the laws of the country in which they operate. So the, holding them to abide by the laws of the country in this way, I think this is one of the new things uh, that, uh, that you can uh, uh, notice in this convention. It would be important that they, these organizations and African states, uh, have an understanding, uh, including the uh, governing bodies of these bodies, that these principles, uh, including respect for the national laws, mean that these laws, in the first place, are consistent with the uh, principles in the Convention and as other uh, treaties under international. So the humanitarian organizations should not fear that this obligation would be imposing them undue uh, obligation because they are, will be obliged to respect laws of a country. Nonetheless, they are expected to, to uh, abide by the laws of the country. But the understanding of this convention is that these laws themselves are consistent with international law. The convention obliges states to prevent discrimination from IDP, discrimination against IDPs and other, other uh, violations against IDPs, including genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, and other violations of international humanitarian law. It prohibits uh, such crimes as arbitrary killings, uh, summary execution, arbitrary detention, abduction, a whole list of enumeration, uh, which includes enforced disappearance, torture, cruel, inhuman, degrading treatment and punishment, sexual and gender-based violence in all its forms, notably rape, enforced prostitution, sexual exploitation, harmful practices, slavery, recruitment of children, and their use in hostilities, forced labor, human trafficking, and smuggling and starvation. And also collective punishment uh, are prohibited in this convention. Most of these prohibitions are restating as obligations of states under human rights treaties they have acceded to or under general international law, such as a prohibition uh, against torture, for instance. Uh, but there are others uh, which uh, would be new introductions for states as obligations. For instance, harmful practices which is defined 
in, the, uh, in this convention. But it's not usual to find a provision against harmful practices against internally displaced persons as an obligation. But the importance of this convention is that it, atta it attaches these violations as critical, as relevant to IDPs because they happen to, IDC, to IDPs. IDPs have suffering, have been suffering and are suffering because of these actions, including sexual related uh, violence against women is pervasive in IDP camps and so forth. So uh, it is very important to put this in context. But it becomes an obligation for states who have ratified this, who will be ratifying it. The convention has also established uh, a monitoring mechanism to monitor compliance through uh, one, uh, the conference of state parties, and of course, the African Commission on Human and People's Rights through the periodic reports for states that have um, joined the, uh, the African uh, peer review mechanism of NEPAD, they would also be obliged to submit a reporting in their review reports. Uh, so the, the compliance, uh, monitoring of compliance is very robust. The convention also includes safeguard provisions to protect the rights of IDPs to seek and be granted asylum within the framework of the African Charter on Human and People's Rights and to seek protection as a refugee within the um, purview of the 1969 OAU Convention governing the specific aspects of refugee problems in Africa, or the 1951 UN Convention relating to the status of refugees, as well as the 1969 Protocol relating to the status of refugees. This is because of the concern that protecting IDPs in their own country should not in any way undermine their right to seek, international, to seek asylum in other countries, to cross international borders. Because one of the criticism against the development of the, the regime of uh, protecting internally displaced persons globally is that it would somehow undermine the right to seek asylum. It is an easy way, it is of a comfort for states to provide support in, in a place where they are rather than when they cross the border. So the convention makes it clear that this is not the case, that they retain this right to cross international borders and seek asylum, and that will be fully protected. It goes even further in emphasizing that the convention should be understood, co construed, or interpreted, consistent with the African Charter on Human and People's Rights and other applicable instruments of international human rights law, international humanitarian law, and reaffirms the right of IDPs to lodge a complaint with the African Commission on Human and People's Rights or the African Court of Justice and Human Rights. This is a merged court uh, of the African uh, Court on Human and People's Rights and the African Court of Justice in any other uh, competent international body. As a measure to facilitate the implementation of the Kampala Convention, the African Union uh, Commission on International, or AUCIL, has developed uh, a model for the one of one of the ways in which uh, to support the implementation of the Kampala Convention. The first question one needs to address with regard to the model law for the Kampala Convention um, is whether such a model law is advisable in light of a diversity of legal traditions in Africa. So the first challenge is to make the model law adaptable to different uh, legal jurisdictions or traditions, uh, legal traditions across Africa. Um, or to uh, make it uh, possible uh, to be used as uh, a guide for national stakeholders when they start to develop national policies or national legislation. Another challenge 
is to be faithful to obligations in the Kampala Convention because it is an, uh, a very extensive convention, not only in terms of the number of articles, but each article includes, as I mentioned, uh, a very general, very comprehensive obligations. So the challenge is to be able to capture this in, uh, in one model legislation has been daunting. So we have been in the African Union Commission International very careful to draw on the practice of model laws in the African, in the United Nations. United Nations has used a number of um, instruments as model laws, uh, ancestral and uh, other model laws uh, have been very common. And also in African Union to ensure that this uh, suggestion, this model legislation would also be useful too for as reference in drafting uh, and implementing uh, domestic legislations. It will also assist, uh, this model will also assist in the implementation of the Kampala Convention as a framework for regional and international cooperation with respect to the African Union because African Union is expected to play a more proactive role. It has obligations, a number of obligations, I refer to some of them. As we have seen in, in this presentation, the Kampala Con Convention contains obligations that would require further guidance and also draws on existing treaties. So the Modelo could, could help further uh, this uh, general uh, formulation in terms of elaboration uh, with the bodies charged with the interpretation, uh, implementation, and monitoring of these treaties. The African Union model law being finalized by the African Union Commission on International Law, it has 14 chapters and 63 articles. It covers all aspects of internal displacement discussed in this presentation from prevention of internal displacement, protection, um, assistance, uh, finding durable solution, and, and holding violations accountable. It also contains provisions for compensation, remedy, and penal provisions to prevent arbitrary uh, internal displacement, prosecution of criminal acts against IDPs. As, as discussed in this presentation, the Kampala Convention relies to a large extent on existing treaties on international human, human, human rights law and international environmental law, international humanitarian law. Hence, the model law has drawn on cases considered by the African Commission on Human and People's Rights, the general comments of the United Nations treaty bodies, the operational uh, guidelines on the protection of persons in situation of natural disasters, the framework on durable solutions for internally displaced persons adopted by the uh, interagency standing committee, the annotations to the general, to the guiding principles, the, what are called the Pignore, the Pinero principles uh, on housing and property restitution for refugees and displaced persons of the Human Rights Council, the basic principles and guidelines on development-based evictions and displacement submitted to the Human Rights Council in 2006, the ICRC's work on the customary international humanitarian law, the work of the United Nations International Law Commission on the protection of persons in the event of disasters, in particular the definition for the definition of disasters, the handbook for applying the guideline, the guiding principles on the internal displacement of 1999, the manual for law and policymakers published by Brookings Institute um, University of Bern project on internal displacement in October 2008, and the work of the uh, ICRC, uh, the International Red Cross Red, Red Crescent Movement uh, on the guidelines on the domestic facilitation and regulation of interna international disaster relief and initial recovery assistance are some of 
the most critical sources used in drafting the model law and would serve as uh, some of the main informative sources to develop national policies and legislations. And we have also drawn on uh, national legislations on IDPs in Africa, including the latest in 2012 from Kenya, uh, which uh, has a very extensive provisions and has been inspired by the guiding principles uh, of the United Nations. Uh, we have used uh, to draw lessons from uh, legislations from Asia, from Latin America uh, as well. So this model legislation would be processed first, it will be finalized uh, hopefully in 2013 by the African Union Commission on International Law and will be submitted for the policy organs for endorsement by the, um, the African Union uh, Summit, Heads of State and Government. And then it will be uh, circulated to member states with translation in different languages to assist states in the implementation of the Kampala Convention. The most important thing now is to proceed with further ratifications. Uh, convention has, as I said, has entered into force, but it would require much wider ratification. So the next step for all of us is to encourage our states to ratify legislation, to be inspired by this model law, to change their, uh, or to review their policies if they don't have policies, to uh, enact policies on IDPs and have national legislations. And finally, in relation to this model law, I made some suggestions following the adoption of the model law, uh, some subsidiary uh, legislations or instruments will be required because I mentioned uh, internet displacement related to projects, for instance. We might need subsequently to work on um, this area of guiding uh, member states to have uh, transparent rules when they undertake big projects. Uh, how do they make consultations? The Food and Agriculture Organization has issued one guideline, so we can inspire by that as well. It should also include on um, forced evictions in general for different situations, consultation procedures, on guidelines for large-scale development projects, as I said, an instrument for the establishment of standard loan compensation mechanisms, a simplified procedure to guarantee timely access to justice, procedure on informed involuntary consent or re re relocation, procedure on return, uh, local integration resettlement and modalities for registration or uh, data collection and management. So I look forward to work with um, a number of colleagues in the continent and across the world, uh, some of them that I mentioned, to work on these uh, projects in the future to further enhance and develop the uh, development of uh, IDP law in Africa. Thank you very much.